This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Warden's Watch Podcast is now on Patreon, combining the Thin Green Line Podcast and the Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon to bring member-exclusive extra content, both video, audio, and with product deals as well. Become a member to support our podcast and get something extra. Search Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon. This episode of the Thin Green Line, we have Rosanna Moore from the hit History Channel show, Alone. And what a, what a cool conversation, John, to talk to, to one of these people that's experienced this and to see how real reality TV can be. And the experiences that she gets to share with the viewers on the Alone uh, TV show. And then she gets to share the behind the scenes with the Thin Green Line podcast. Uh, it's just just great. And uh, just we just talked about what kind of dynamic uh, people that we've had on the show. And Rosanna is no doubt one of those. And just a stand-up lady starting with her nonprofit that she's trying to, to help out, you know, kids kids and introduce them to things that helped her out when she was a kid. Yeah, she's, she's amazing. And, you know, um, we've both had experience doing reality TV and I know, honestly, I don't watch, well, I don't watch any reality TV to be honest now, because I know our show and I know Northwoods law are very authentic. And I know mm. we as game wardens working for agency can't really let them fabricate or, you know, produce or back produce stuff. Right. But right. we know there's so much, you know, there's so much unreality in reality TV that it's still a produced message. Mm-hmm. And the thing I like about alone is, and what I have just so much respect for, for Rose doing that show and the other people that have, um, that have done that show successfully is what you see is what you get. Mm. You know, they're filming their own reality. They're out there literally alone. That's why it's what I think it's the biggest reality TV hit on the planet right now. It is just a huge, huge success in what eighth, ninth season. Um, mm. And what I like about 
her story is and what makes her so special to us is that conservation background. Yes. Um, yes. Hunting with a bow. I think she's one of only two women in the U.S. to have taken the super slam with yeah. a bow. And that's that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but just think of how well that prepared her for that experience. And she had some, we won't spoil alerted guys, but grizzly bear problems and encounters, 37 days out there, very little food. It was just it was nothing but a challenge and that's mm-hmm. an understatement. Um, but it was her, you know, mental toughness of being an outdoor woman and being a conservationist through cold, through hot, through mornings, through evenings, and just being out there. And she said, I was never going to quit. I didn't see any of these threats that could, you know, take my life like these big Brown bears. Um, I wasn't going to quit, but we'll let her story kind of dictate, and tell you guys how it all went, but it's a fascinating story. One of our, one of our best and kudos to her for representing not only conservation and not only, you know, the survival mindset, but women doing it, you know, awesomely Mm. out there. She's just a a great steward for conservation with her nonprofit work for sure. No, no, great interview. I know that you guys are going to really enjoy this one. So, Hey, uh, if you get an opportunity, please rate us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, Every little bit helps. It kind of directs people to it and says, hey, this is a really good podcast to listen to. So enjoy Rosanna Moore. She's all alone. Never, ever binge watch anything. And it just hooked me. And I had to watch like, I watched like seven seasons straight. I haven't seen your... I'm going to be honest. I haven't seen season eight yet, Rosanna, so you can give me some. But I don't have Hulu yet, but I, I plan on getting it just so I can watch season eight. But I have never been so – I've never binge-watched. I don't want to binge-watch. It takes too much time. And my wife, right. about hour three, she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm watching this show alone. I'm hooked. I, I can't believe it because I just – I want to see the next step and the next step. Uh, you know, survival is something we all we, we all play with, so to speak. We all prepare for but Rosanna, you, you, you live survival. You lived, and I, I don't think I want to, <laughs> especially after watching Alone. I'm like, that really sucks. And if people have been out in the woods, I mean, just a, a bad day hunting when I get soaking wet and cold and come in. I mean, just, John, you know that the fire, the, the drying out process is just so good. And when you're on alone, you don't get that opportunity. <laughs> you, you, you get back to your little hovel that you've created. And, yeah, that was fun at camp to do those survival skills. But it, it's not so fun in the real world. And then you're going to try to go the distance. So, yeah, so alone for me was very uh, entertaining. And what I found was entertaining because it was real. And, and I could see it was real. And I could dissect the realness of it, which is really cool. So, Anyways, we're down at the Great American Outdoor Show, and Rosanna walked by, uh, and she started talking to the, the group at Hunt of a Lifetime, and uh, that's how we met, and uh, we kind of exchanged, and uh, we did some photographs, so kind of Northwoods Law meets a- alone, I said, and then Glenn Lucas says, hey, you, you got lunch ready for me today? And I said, <laughs> yeah, but I'm doing a podcast at one, so I'm going to suck you in, because uh, uh, when it comes to Northwoods Law, you're you're definitely that face that, you know, everybody asks me, oh, oh yeah, you are on Northwoods Law, you know Glenn Lucas? So... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, I know Glenn Lucas. So you, you, you probably said, "I'm like, I made Glenn Lucas." Uh, no, I, I might have said that once or twice. Yeah. 
So thanks for joining us on the Thin Green Line, Rosanna. And, and tell us, hey, how you got involved with this. I know you own a sporting goods store. Um, how you got involved with a loan. And, and yeah, this is the process uh, and the mental process of, hey, I, I want to be on a loan. Because I know I don't want to be on a loan. How's that? Now, John Norris, you would be a great guy to be on a loan, John. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, Rosanna, first of all, thanks for coming on the show. Um, I, I'm a fan of the show, too, and I watch hardly any TV as busy as my world is doing kind of some production on the TV side. But I think Alone is one of the most authentic shows out there when it comes to the survival genre. And there have been so many. Um, I think of people I've worked with from the Naked and Afraid show and Survivor and all these Thank others. And it's funny. just... But, you know, those just don't have the element of self-sustainability like you have to do out there, Rosanna. So my hat is off. And I don't know at this stage of my career after going through some uh, incidents like that for weeks at a time on a spec ops team that I'd want to do it or I'd be brave enough or have the patience. So kudos to you. How did uh, how did that all start for you? How'd you get into that? Well, um, first, I want to say thank you for allowing me to come and, and share my story with you. And um, if you haven't seen um, season eight, I feel bad that I'm going to probably spoil that for you. Um, I'll watch I'll it anyways. I'll watch it anyway. <laughs> yeah. I, I, won't, I won't tell you the ending, but um, I'll tell you how <laughs> my story went and then, then when I left the show. So thanks for letting me come and share it with you guys. I appreciate thanks. it. Thank you. Um, so the show for me, wasn't anything that I had ever planned either. I never, I don't, I don't watch television. I actually had not seen the show prior. So um, yeah, I had never sat around and thought, well, that would be fun to do. (laughs) Actually, a producer reached out to me. So um, you mentioned that I have a sporting goods store and the sporting goods store is actually part of that story. About eight years ago, I decided that I was going to open a sporting goods store and I have never liked it ever, <laughs> not in eight years. I don't like retail. But what it became for me was um, a, a platform to teach from a grassroots level. Um, as soon as I started teaching archery, I saw a great need for teaching these kids. And I'm a big trapper. So I also saw that that was going away. Nice. And I wanted to pass on that tradition as well. Um, that kind of led to me doing a lot of seminars and a lot of teaching locally. And then I started to travel and do it. But because I did so much with trapping, trying to teach the need for predator control. um, And then eventually in all that I was doing, um, I saw that I needed to teach um, wildlife conservation from a different perspective, a little different than just uh, the cultural aspect, because it's part of our culture here in Pennsylvania. Hunting is a very big part of what we do. We close our schools for hunting season. So mm. it's um, you know, just something that our kids grow up doing. But I wanted to teach them a little bit differently. I wanted to teach them um, about habitat and habitat replacement and respecting our wildlife and um, fair chase. I wanted to teach them all of those things that were being left out. So um, I closed my sporting goods store, my first sporting goods store that I had run for about six years. And then I moved back home here in Wellsboro, Pennsylvania. Um, It's a beautiful area and it's where I grew up running around the the mountains here. So um, I started teaching again here and I was only open for about three months and COVID shut me down. So um, it was a rough start for me. But I thought, well, what I'll keep doing is posting online and doing like little online assignments for kids, letting them get involved by track identification and they could enter these contests and I would send them prizes. 
Um, and it was going really well, but I was doing a lot of posting on social media. Um, and a producer saw me on Instagram and she reached out to me and she said um, that she found it fascinating that I was a trapper and, and whatnot, wanted to talk to me about the show. And I thought it was a scam. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that. I'm like, who is this person? <laughs> I, uh, you know, just living in my own little world of hunting and trapping and teaching, you know, kids. Uh, I actually saw the email come through on my watch. So I just kind of swiped it away like, okay, whatever. I don't know what that is. So then later <laughs> that night, I was like, I better maybe check that over again. So <clears throat> I did a little research about alone. And I thought, wow, that's pretty crazy. I might like to do that. Um and people ask me all the time why I would live with grizzly bears. Cause that was the twist for season eight was they put us in the, the dangerous situation of living with grizzly bears. There was a, a salmon run that comes through there. So the grizzly bears come every year for that salmon run. And so we know that going in. And so people ask me all the time why I would make that choice to do that, you know, and starve and, and all the other things you experience out there. And I just tell them, I'm not quite sure. I think there may be something wrong with me. <laughs> it's like a, a pretty crazy decision, but it was a challenge. And I love um, those challenges. I hunt all over the world with my bow, chasing a North American super slam with my bow. Um, so I had been um, marketing that and showing that on social media. And before I left, I thought really long and hard about being on national TV. And you guys know this, when you go on national TV, it really changes everything yes. about your life. Um, people give you their opinions, whether they're kind or unkind. And right. um, it really, really affects yeah. everything about your life. Um, and so I had to think really long and hard about whether I wanted to put myself in that situation because I am, um, I'm, I'm not really a loner, but I do spend a lot of time alone. So as much as I do in my retail store and locally and always have done and interact with my community, I always, at the end of the day, when the store closes, I'm, I, you know, I'm pretty much in the woods or, you know, in the morning I'm in the woods. I spend a lot of time by myself and I enjoy that very much. So I knew that that would probably be a little tough for me to go back to after TV. But what I wanted to do with this as my quest, because I saw that need for teaching children was... I knew that I could take this as my quest, turn it into a nonprofit and teach on a larger platform Nice, yep. because the, I only kept the retail store so that I had a platform to teach at. Um, and this would put me on that larger platform. So I had the intention before I left to form my nonprofit. I said yes to alone because I knew that that would give me a greater ability to do what I loved when I came back. So mm -hmm. that's kind of the reason for saying yes to alone. I do love a challenge, so I'm not going to say it that one. Um, I wanted that that national platform to, you know, grow my nonprofit. So, well, hopefully, the we nonprofit can. Nonprofit now has taken focus. Um, nice. <clears throat> it's formed, and that's what I'm doing more of. Um, that's actually what I'm all I'm doing right now is the nonprofit. The sporting goods store is going away, and and I'm going to focus on the nonprofit. So, that's the story behind it. But I think you guys are probably a little more interested in the. Oh, what yeah. happened out there i'm sure our listeners are <laughs> so yeah. and i am too okay okay i admit it yeah <laughs> i want to know i want to know alone from the time you get dropped off and then we'll talk about the nonprofit again because i think that's a great idea and just the expansion thereof and what you have plans for that but let's let's get into you know day one the prep the this the that i mean that's uh yeah let's peel back this onion <laughs> I say that too much now. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I when I finally spoke with um, the producer and kind of got a better idea of what the show was and, and what they're hoping to see and, 
the reality of it um, mm. because you do think it's TV and you won't be put into a dangerous situation because, you know, why would they do that? But they actually do. And that's actually what you end up doing. It's, it's actually very dangerous. It's as real as, as it gets. Um, so when I talked to the producer and I realized that all of this is very real and uh, pretty dangerous, um, I decided that, yeah, that was the ultimate test because being a woman doing what I do, even though I travel by myself, um, when I hunt large game, you usually in some places have to have an outfitter. Um, and I think that it's responsible to have an outfitter to teach you how to hunt that animal because a lot of the animals like muskox in Greenland, I've never hunted, you know, those negative temperatures before. And I've certainly never hunted a muskox. So just, you know, being responsible, sometimes right. I go out and, um, you know, have to hunt with outfitters, but being, being a woman, they tend to want to help you more than you want help. And so going out there on the show, no one could help me. This was just a true test of no one intervening and me just testing myself and um, knowing if I could do it. So it was, it was pretty easy once I factored in all of those things that I mentioned to make the decision to go on the show. So the other thing was, is there were over 20,000 people that applied for the show that actively applied. Wow. I didn't apply for the show. So it was like kind of last minute once they had reached out to me. So I didn't have a lot of time. So you send in audition videos and show them who you are and what you do for casting and sure. you know videos and whatever. And uh, then they have to choose from over 20,000 people. So even though I made the decision that, yeah, I'll go ahead and pursue this, um, I still had to get through all of that process. So um, I made it uh, to the top 24, I think it's 23 or 24, um, which was amazing to me. And I thought this will be the coolest story. I made it to the top, you know, um, 24 people. And I thought that was as far as I was going to go. Um, but then I made the top 10, which was pretty amazing. When I got mm. the phone call, um, I couldn't believe it. It was surreal. So anyways, um, I made the top 10 and then you only have just a few weeks to prepare. So it's very <laughs> short notice. It's all very quick. Oh yeah. 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 So uh, they kind of give you an idea of what the climate's going to be like, and you have to get all of your stuff and um, decide what your 10 final items are. Cause you get to choose 10 primitive items to take with you. And um, what did you choose? You're off and running. And you, what are, what are your 10 items? Cause yeah, I always look at that list and I'm like, I would pick this, 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 and I'm just going to compare notes. <laughs> that, that's a question that piques me right away. You know, with our survival background mm. is what were the dilemmas of what to choose? I mean, yeah. well, give us your list and what were you on the fence on? I think for me, the list was pretty simple because we're eight seasons into this. So you can go back through and see what right. kind of works for other people. Um, you're always in a different environment. This was the first time at Choco Lake. I know sometimes that they've, you know, crossed over and used the same place, but this was the first time um, Choco Lake, British Columbia. So you're not totally sure what to expect, but you get a you get a good idea of what people have done in the past. And I know right. what I use a lot just in my everyday, you know, practices when I'm out there. So um, I was really torn between my knife. Um, I have a pretty amazing knife that um, a knife maker makes for me. And it's a very large knife, very thick spine. Um, and I use that to even split wood. This knife goes everywhere with me and has been on every hunting trip all over the world. But I needed to make a choice between that knife and a multi-tool. The multi-tool right. will have a small knife on it that I can utilize. Right. 
and take a saw and then have all of those other items on that multi-tool. So that's really where I was torn. Mm. Um, and then when I got out there, because I, I took the multi-tool saw and an ax. So those for, you know, my main tools, those were the three items that I took. Um, hindsight, I would have left the ax, taken my knife and my multi-tool and a saw. Hmm. Once you are pretty deep into starvation, you're not really swinging an ax too awful much. Right. Yeah. I just really didn't use it. So after the first, why I think the most I ever used my ax for was it was heavy enough that I could kind of drop it down on the limbs and snap them off. But even that got really heavy to do after a while. Oh, interesting. But the multi, the multi two proved itself in spades. I would take it, right. Was it very, very useful? Yeah. The, the needle nose pliers on that, they were really, really, really handy because what I ended up doing was, um, I think I set like 46 snares when I was out there. So twisting those snares, um, that was super handy. I had wire cutters on it for my snare wire. And then I also, um, tied flies because we couldn't use live bait this season. This was a really restrictive season. You guys haven't seen this one yet, but Hmm. they, uh, I think they jokingly call this one, the starvation season. They, they stacked it against you guys. Yeah. Yeah. They stepped it up, <laughs> stepped up the challenge. Brutal. It was pretty tough. We weren't allowed to eat squirrels, rats, mice. Uh-oh. Um, I, so that one of the big reasons that they took me is cause I'm a trapper. And then right. I got out there and I wasn't allowed to trap. Oh, so, <laughs> <laughs> oh um, man. What a slap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So luckily I did snare. I ended up snaring two rabbits. The one, you know, didn't make the show because they medically extracted me on day 37. You'd think that these numbers would be more memorable to me, but I do, as time goes on, I keep not remembering the, I'm, I think it was 37 days. <laughs> so bad. Um, but day 37, they, they extracted me. So my last rabbit was in the snare, but um, he didn't make the, the show. So I did snare two rabbits while I was out there, but without those pliers, it would have been super hard to, you know, craft all those snares and and make um uh tie flies so one rabbit in 37 days that's did you snare anything else it was one rabbit in 37 days if you never got the second rabbit um Uh, no so you weren't allowed there's nothing else you're allowed to snare so you had one rabbit in 37 days yeah with 40 something snares set every day yeah so if you um so you have to kind of think so it's the largest downturn of rabbits in like 10 years. It was a pretty low number of rabbits. That's why <laughs> I think there were only two of us that snared rabbits. Nobody else even bothered setting them because okay. there were just hardly any rabbits. But um, so think about like um, going out in the woods to an area you've never been before and right. just looking around thinking, if I were a rabbit, <laughs> where would I run? You know, just trying to figure them out and you have a snare the size of your fist and you've got mm. to set that somewhere in those woods that a rabbit is going to run through it. So you sat all over the place. Oh, and then the other thing was a bobcat kept mm. coming through and pushing all my snares oh. out of the way because he smelled me. So <laughs> he kept moving them out of the way. So I would have to every day like go out and reset my snares. And in the snow, there's bobcat prints to everyone. And then they, he actually walked right up to my shelter. He was smelling me and following me. So that was kind of neat, but he was a bit of a pain. I was really worried that if I had gotten another rabbit, that he would take those out of my line. But 
I didn't get another one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, two rabbits in 37 days and the one I didn't get to eat. So not a lot of food. Oh, I foraged wow. as much as I could. I ate a lot of berries, um, wild onions, you know, just what was left. We were so late in the year. But um, as far as fishing, we weren't allowed to use live bait or any live material for bait. There was a bait ban in the lake. So I was cutting my hair and tying flies with my hair and paracord. And I made a little shadow box of all the flies that were left in my in my bag when they brought my stuff back. But cool. it, it was it was hard. It was tough. Mm. And you never caught a fish on your hair? No, I didn't. So my shoreline was so shallow, I couldn't throw it far enough because you're hand lining. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't throw it far enough to get it out to deep water because we had restrictions on fish size too. And we weren't <laughs> allowed to eat the salmon. Wow. So I was mm. I was starving to death, stepping over salmon mm. that had washed well, this, up on shore. This, <laughs> that, that is a brutal restriction. Um, it was... That's- Tough. Kind of of shocked to hear this, you know, given the challenge in and of itself with what is there if it's Mm -hmm. readily available. But so, first day you get there, you've got your gear. Take Mm -hmm. us through that. Take us through what day one and day 37 look like (laughs) and what your routine was and how it changed, how it adapted. And what you would have done different, I think you would have ate a whole bunch of, you know, Twinkies before you got there, had you known. (laughs) (laughs) You had to bulk up and burn fat reserves to try to get fat reserves. You grew up up in the 80s, Twinkies. Okay. What what are they eating now? (laughs) (laughs) So you do, if you can find bugs out there, you do eat bugs. I did eat some ants and some grasshoppers and, you know, little things that really don't amount to too awful much but there's if you can find them they're there you eat them um but the first day when they drop me off there's a thing it's called drop shock um so some people experience that um, when they're dropped off you have like you know the camera crews are on the on the boat or helicopter or whatever getting the video of you as they're leaving so you're going to be completely by yourself now, you know, so they drop you off and then all of that chaos is pulling away. And I guess some people get what's called drop shock and then they panic. Um, mm-hmm. It's something that they tell you about as a possibility, but I am not kidding. When I tell you I was wait, I couldn't wait for them to go. I wanted them to leave like, okay, go already. Cause I wanted to explore. I felt like a little kid, like yeah, you can yeah. just do whatever you want. There's yeah. no one here to tell you what you can and can't do. And I was so excited to get going on this challenge. So right. I wanted them to pull away faster. Um, it was awesome. Exciting. I, lo- I love that attitude. It was, it. it was Inspiring. cool. Yeah. Um, and so first I of course wanted to, you know, make sure that I had a place for a fire. The wind was blowing down off that lake so strongly that I knew that I had to talk back in so that I could have a fire and I didn't start a forest fire, you know, at the same time. Right. So I wanted to make sure I had everything set up right and I got my water going first. So I did that. And then I just kind of walked around and explored a little bit to see where I could put up a shelter that I think it was that first night that we had a huge electric storm, the worst lightning storm I've ever seen in my life. And you don't have a shelter or anything yet. So you're just under a tarp. But it was so crazy being on that lake and the lightning as bright as it was. Um, So I got through that night and it was fine. And you know that the grizzly bears are all over there. There was a couple hundred grizzly bears that they had counted in that area. Um, They come there every year for that salmon run. Most of the salmon didn't run, though, because there was a landslide that blocked the run um, in the Fraser River. So 
lots of bears, not a lot of food. So, oh, yeah. you know, at, at any point you're going to see a grizzly bear coming down that shoreline. So um, with that in mind, you're everything you're doing, you're just kind of watching for these grizzly bears just sure. to make sure that you see them before they see you maybe, mm-hmm. um, which rarely ever happens. <laughs> They're very quiet and very sneaky. So they yeah. usually, you know, see you, have smelled you, or you even see them. So, um, it was that first night you'll see when you watch. So I got really sick. <laughs> uh-huh. I ate. Okay. Uh, they, so they, there's a, when you're eating wild onions, there's a um, plant that mimics a wild onion. It's called death camas. And so you get a little concerned when you're, um, if I was uh, quite possibly be what you got mixed with some onions. Um, so I just waited it out. And when I was, um, it was in the middle of the night that I started getting really sick. And I thought the last thing I want to do is vomit on national TV. So I tried really hard to get off camera, but I forgot my mic was attached right here. Huh. So that's the very done first that stuff. <laughs> oh, <bad>. Yeah. <laughs> all of the audio of me. So sick. Mm. So um, anything I did eat prior um, was no longer there. So I didn't have, it didn't matter what I had stocked up before, <laughs> the day before, it's all gone. So I started in a rough situation. So I was sick for a couple of days. Um, I just couldn't do anything. Um, and then I think it's just your stomach is trying to adjust to all that new stuff that you're you're putting into it. Sure, sure. Um so, and I had boiled the water, so I knew it wasn't the water, but I don't know exactly what it was. Um, I, a local girl made me a t-shirt that it wasn't the berries because they tried to make it look like it might've been the berries. The, it wasn't the berries. I continued to eat those the rest of the time. They're called Kinnikinick berries and they were fine. Um, so I have a t-shirt that says it wasn't the berries because that's like the number one question that everybody asks. Why would you eat the berries? Right. <laughs> it wasn't the berry. <laughs> I ate those for 37 days. So um, it just, I don't know. There was a lot going on, you know, it's a mm. whole new environment. So I got really sick. So I hadn't, I, I started with a very empty stomach. So I was hungry from that point on and um, would find little things, but there were, there, there were still forageable at that time. So foraging and it was still exciting. And as sick as I was, I think that that when people would talk to me after they watched the first episode, they're like, I would have quit right there. Because if you think about it, like when you're home and you are, you have the flu and you're really sick, like you just want to be in the comfort of your bed. But I knew it would be fine. I knew it would pass and I would be okay. I just needed to wait out a couple of days. So I got back on my feet and decided that I needed to move. I couldn't stay there. It was like a wind tunnel where I was. My tarp was like blowing up in the air and I couldn't keep any, the fire blowing all over ash. So I knew that I needed to relocate. So I started my trek around the lake, see where I could find a new place. I think I ended up three quarters of a mile down shore, which means that you have to move all of your stuff, your giant case of camera equipment and your bag and all your stuff. You have to relocate. So I was already really weak. So what I did was I, I carved like a walking stick because those, the shore was really hard to walk on. Um, and that was, so day three, I found my spot. So day four or five, I think it might've been day five is when I packed everything on my back and headed down wow. the beach. So wow, that took was some time. Um, so. exciting to go to a new spot. Yeah. Um, 
when I found my new spot though, that was the funny part. And I should have taken that as a sign. When I found my new spot down the beach, it was this great little area. It had a little clearing in it, it had a great large game trail. Um, And I eventually found that it was the lake crossed over to a lagoon. And so the large game were coming through there quite a bit. And so I thought this is perfect. So I'll set up my camp here. So before I went and got all my stuff, I walk back out on the beach and I take my pink paracord and I'm tying it on a tree. And I'm talking about how this is the perfect place. And I finally found my home and I turn my head to the left and there are three grizzly bears running straight at me. That was, that was my next question is, uh, you know, we dropped this massive bear presence, you know, all around you. And when you first started seeing them, so it wasn't too long after you landed, you were into bears. Yeah. Yeah. They were running straight at me. It was a mother and her two cubs, but they were ready to leave mom because they were, they were almost the size of her. And they were just amazing running at me. So I'm trying to tuck back into the woods and I have this little JVC hand camera and I'm like tapping on the screen, trying to get it to focus on the bears, not the branches. So the footage was really terrible. So they could, they ended up not being able to use that because I could hear my heart beating in my ears. Like it was the craziest situation because Mm. I have no shelter. I don't have all of my stuff. I just have what's in my pack. I don't, I did have my bow with me, but a long bow against three grizzly bears, you know. Yeah, not so so good. Yeah. yeah, um, And they're protected there. So you really try hard to just stay out of their way. Um, And so I just needed to get out of their way, but I didn't know what what way they were going. (laughs) So I just went up on the hill and um, kind of, you know, crouched down and tried to watch and listen, but I couldn't hear because my heart was beating so loudly in my ears and I was just like trying to calm myself down so that I could focus because you have to stay present in all of that or else Mm. you'll you'll panic a bit and so I just waited and and they went down around me I think her what her interest was because I saw her nose come up she must have winded me um so I think she just wanted to get her cubs away from me so she dropped down around me on that large game trail over to the lagoon um, so yeah, that should have been my first sign that that was actually a grizzly bear crossover, not just a large game. <laughs> yeah, one of, one of their uh, dedicated trails sounds like. Yeah. Know. Yeah. So um, I went and got all my stuff and I set up my camp right near there. And that was the beginning of eight bears. So really interesting. Um, over the time that I was there, um, you see a lot of bears, you hear a lot of bears and um with bears um you tend to um think about it every second it consumes you Mm. because you have to to be safe if you just forget about the bears and try to go on with what you're doing then you know you're not being as cautious as you need to be be in a dangerous situation your brain kind of resets to be in that dangerous situation and even if you're cutting a tree down you're thinking if a bear comes from there this is what i'm going to do there's my bow there's my knife so even when you're sawing a tree you're planning yeah what's going to happen if i stand up and turn around there's a grizzly bear behind me um so you do that for 37 days and it kind of sets you on a, a rough path for recovery when you come home Um, so that was a little hard after I came home and it probably wouldn't have been so bad had I not had the encounter with the last bear that I had, which is an interesting story, but I'll hold off a little bit on telling you that because that was right before they medically extracted me. Um, so over the time that I was there, I was always excited to be there every day. The snow was coming down a little bit farther on the mountain and I just, I would want to take my camera out and 
see the snow line coming down, getting closer. And um, I, I, and I remember I constantly said to them, thank you for this opportunity because yeah. every day was a new challenge and it was just amazing being out there. So I was grateful for all of it the entire time. Um, I have two children, so um, they thought that that would be something that would, you know, emotionally get to me after a while. But my daughter is 27 and my son is 24 and they're pretty amazing kids. So um, they're okay without me. And I knew, you know, I I would go home eventually. So the being alone part was not an issue for me. I didn't struggle with that. I know that a lot of people do. I mean, that's the premise of the show, you know, how long before being alone gets to you. But Mm. it really didn't get to me. It would get to me. I'm sorry. I'm just a social person. Well, uh, it's, yeah. you know, it's, that's an interesting topic. And I want to go back to um, um, just, just to pause and go back to when we first introduced you and you said, well, I spent a lot of time alone in the woods and, you know, this is a uh, now national public attention from television. Now I'm going to face, be faced with some challenges. And ironically, I share your same sentiment because even though I'm very public, I went to grad school with a lot of therapist friends and they said, dude, we can't figure you out. You are the most public introvert I've ever known. <laughs> you know, People you're on TV, you're a game warden, you present, you speak, you're in a freaking rock and roll band, but all you want to do is get in the woods by yourself with yourself or a couple other people. And you're always hunting. You're never going to parties. You're never doing to a bunch of these PR events. And that's, that was the hard part for me. And again, empathizing with, you know, you, um, all of those questions, all of that attention, telling the story so many times, and it just gets to where, you know, so many people are benefiting from that story. I always look at it as always that blessing and opportunity to pay something forward, especially us on the thin green line, Glenn, Wayne, myself as game wardens. I mean, we are so thin on the thin green line that we, no matter how tired we get, we need to keep telling that story, you know, for succession, for the future generation and for wildlife, but it's draining, you know? Mm. And uh, so for you to go there, as somebody that really can thrive on being alone and find your spirit, so to speak, with that challenge kind of gives you an advantage, I think, to so many of the extroverted people that get into the show for those reasons, because they don't mind the attention and now they want to do the challenge. And it's not a diss one way or the other. It's just the different personality types. So I, I struggle with that too, quite honestly. And I, and I still do. So uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by your journey and uh, uh, really, really intrigued by it. Thanks. I think um, for me, um, and most people that know me, they know that, um, that I do really well on, on my own. I feel like that's been the majority of my life is being on my own. I had, you know, I had kids and, you know, my, but that's a little bit different, you know, being a mother and, um, you know, being very social all the time. I still always liked, you know, that time of um, never really, really was a big fan of hanging out at parties like you said you right. know not something right. i ever liked to do um so i just from the time that i was a little kid i thought being even being back here in my hometown people say all the time oh my gosh i didn't know all this stuff about you really <laughs> nobody quiet, yeah, just growing up it was mm. just me i was the quiet one you know yeah. and um just kind of kept to myself had a rough really rough childhood um and so i grew up you know, running around the mountains um, in a little town called Asif down in, you know, outside of Wellsboro, um, Pine Creek Gorge running through. So I was always, you know, trout fishing or, um, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere in the woods by myself. 
So this is just who I've always been. I very much enjoy people. I'm not a person that says, I hate people. I hear people say that all the time. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I love people. I love meeting people. I love traveling and meeting them. But I like to go away from that. So that probably was one of the hardest things for me coming back from the show and and there being so many more people and so many opinions, you know, because the show really... um, directs how they want people to view you i mean you you're out there alone you're telling your story and you're living your story out but at the end of it they pick and choose what gets to be seen you know so it kind of shapes people's opinions of you and being a hunter and a large game hunter Mm. i did get a little bit of feedback from um some women that sent me some nasty messages about being a trophy hunter um and on my social media platform, which is funny because all you have to do is scroll a little bit farther and you see every single post I do is about teaching conservation. <laughs> so, right. um, you know, getting those opinions and sure. not saying anything and just letting it go. Mm. And because, uh, you know, one of those really negative messages will overshadow the hundred other messages that you had gotten that were positive. Right. It's very hard. So, um, yeah, that was the hard part for me was having to adjust and we we say it all the time hunters are conservationists uh and i keep saying that to everybody they put their money where their mouth is more so than any animal rightist does um yeah certainly uh, we we invest in conservation as hunters uh shooting people that do shooting sports invest in conservation whether they know it or not because they buy ammo they buy guns and the Pittman robinson act thank god for that that funds all these things right um, from that. And so hunters are conservation. Yes. More so than, you know, any, any other people, I swear we, we invest in our, we invested our resources. So, and we see that every day, huh, Glenn? It's just, uh, you know, and the passion among them and the, the passion among, you know, for, that you're teaching. So, yeah. And we all got the negative, uh, responses and still do. I was going to uh, say the opinions, I, I kind of got a chuckle. I, I'll never forget the phone call I got. Someone called. Oh, they had a, a fishing question, which is usually just a ploy to get me to call him back. So I called this one man back, and he, he critiqued me the way that I climbed the ladder to put the bird back and how I did so many things wrong. <laughs> okay, great talking to you. Yeah, I saw you it. last night on TV, and now uh, you, that ladder, you know, that wasn't secured, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> so when you said those things, I'm like, yep, I've been there to your opinions. I respect your opinion. Thanks for sharing it. Mm, yeah. Did yeah, he really have a, he didn't really have a fishing question, did he? he no, he did not. No. no, he legit told me, I just said that just so you called back. Just want to lure you in, Glenn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here yes. I am. But, yeah, no, no doubt, yeah, so. If you can't laugh about it, then you just you won't even be able to deal with it. I know that um, a lot of my friends were like, you have to stop reading. Reddit mm. is like the devil's platform. That place right. is a horrible place. <laughs> uh, like there's yeah. nobody moderating. There's no way to know who these people are. And oh, my goodness, mm. they have never. Um, there are people that, you know, know everything about the outdoors and have never gone out there and done it. But mm, they will exactly. tell you. Yep. So, and they will tell you in the, the harshest way. So I had to leave a few platforms and just not, because I think the survival um, alone has, alone, I think ended up being the number one show on cable um, last year. Yeah. So um, there's a big following and these people um, have followed alone for all eight seasons and mm. they have watched them over and over and over. And they, they critique us like on a very deep level. And so, 
um, you have to hear that. They need to tell you that. And so you, you hear a lot about, you know, the, the experts that are watching. Yeah. And, and I do that, but I keep it to myself. I'm like, I would have done this. I would have done that. And, you know, and, and critique me against all these people uh, and see if I can get to the end of the show. But I find it funny because if they had all that time to watch those so many, so many times over and over, that means they weren't outside. Doing it, yeah. they were just watching Doing, yeah. others do it. So. Surviving, trying, I had to see yeah. the end. Okay, I yeah. just had to see it. I'm yeah. sorry. I just, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably owe Rose an apology. I've never heard of the show alone until today. I don't watch TV. I don't watch the news. Does you I, sound just like her? I have, I have yeah. no idea. So I apologize, but uh, I, I'm like, well, alone sounds interesting, and here you yeah. are. But don't, I, don't, don't try it because you'll, you'll binge watch. I, I swear. Binge watch. I, I, I just. <laughs> And it's, it's, I hate to say it is, it's my wife is like, this isn't even interesting. I'm like, no, it is. It's, it's, it's this mental game. It's with the next step. It's the next, you know, and she's like, yeah, I'm all set. So, and so Wayne sat there on the couch by himself, binge alone. watching alone. Alone. <laughs> yeah, it's alone and I don't like alone. watching it's TV hilarious. either. It's just, it's a waste of time, but I'm like, oh, I got hooked. Sorry. <laughs> no, um, I, I never watched it either. So mm. yeah, you don't have to apologize. Yeah, no, but like, will you watch the next play. season? Um, I will because there now I feel like you're part um, of it. You can relate so personally. I can now. relate mm. to yeah. them. Yeah. 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 So um, I also know that there's so much more to each one of their story than what you guys will ever get to see. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'll connect with all of them, just like previous participants have connected with me. Um, and we all become friends. And, right. you know, I don't know. It's kind of like we're. We're a very small percentage of people that have ever just got to really go out there and be left alone to try it. Yeah. yeah. So I got yeah, thrown I'll in. I'll watch it, but I'll also know that there's a lot more than what we're seeing. I got thrown in, but can I ask you a question, Rose? Yeah. Um, you said it's it's all how the producers kind of choose to portray. I don't want to call you a character, but each person, and I, I don't think there's anything more true being on my side of it as well. Um, do you believe that they portrayed you in the right way? And also maybe a separate question of the way you would have liked. Yeah. So I think I'm supposed to be careful about how I answer. I figured I didn't mean to put you. So if you don't want to answer, that's fine. No, it's fine. Um, I actually appreciate the opportunity to answer that question. And I'll try to, I'll try to be as kind as the history channel would like me to be, but um, I don't love how they portrayed me. Mm -hmm. I think that's, um, there's so much more depth to who I am and what I do. And I live sure. with such purpose and passion for that purpose that um, that's what, why they excluded most of what I said. I really did not. I made it nine of 11 episodes and you hardly saw me because um, everything I did, I talked to that camera like I was talking to one of the kids here at my shop. Everything was an educational opportunity. Um, right. They're the pine boar beetles that, were in the tree that I cut down that was dead. You know, I was yeah, talking about yeah. those. Um, just every single thing I did about, um, you know, so there being so many predators and not enough prey that I was just another predator in, you know, the wolves and the mountain lions and the grizzly bears and the black bears and the lynx and the bobcat and just everything mm -hmm. out there. And there was nothing, you know, for us to eat and the moose populations are down. And so I talked about all of that and all of that got cut out. So mm -hmm. I was kind of portrayed as the blonde trophy hunter. Yeah. So um, I, I can't say I love how I was portrayed. And I think that people didn't really get to see um, 
the things that I did do. Like they didn't get to see any, I spent hours with all kinds of camera angles on those fishing lures that I um, tied, you know, the flies. Mm -hmm. I tied so many flies. They didn't show one second of that. (laughs) The hours and hours and hours that I would sit there staring at the woods hunting. Nobody saw how many hours I spent hunting. Um, What else did I? The bear trap you found. Oh, I'll show you this. Let me grab this. I'm going to try not to reach in front of the camera here. But this is pretty cool. They never showed this. So nobody's actually seen this. So I'll show it to you guys. Exclusive. (laughs) I know, right? I wanted to do a video. I do a a few little clips on my YouTube channel. And I did see on Reddit that they put that in a forum. They pull my videos over and they say, this is why what we think they should be showing. Rose made all this cool Hmm. stuff and they never showed it. So they do talk about that over on Reddit. But um, they never showed any of my stuff. So um, the first day that I was there, I found this. It's just a piece of shale. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, that will be a great little notepad. And then I found a skinnier piece of mm-hmm. shale. And nice. so I kept notes. I don't know if you can see. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Days on alone, and then I kept yeah. track of all of my days on alone. And this is my snare wire around it um, that held my pencil. Oh, I think a producer would love that little piece. That's neat. Yeah, that would be, that's your scribe. That's your journal. Yeah. That's like prehistoric. It's like, yeah, caveman document. stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. being yeah. in prison, marking on the wall. That's Do you do some glyphs yeah. while you're out there? <laughs> Grizzly <And> stalking. On, <laughs> on the back of it, it says um, September 18th, 2020 was my drop date. So I did keep notes on the back of this. And then three grizzly bears chased me on 922 and 1014. Another grizzly bear chased me. It has the date of when I got my first rabbit. So this little um, piece of shell and this little pen or pencil, I kept calling it, um, was just something neat and different that they didn't show. So mm. there, yeah, there was a ton that they didn't show about me, but I think that if I could go back and do it over again, I wouldn't talk about the conservation side and I wouldn't talk about education. I, w- I just would not talk about any of it because most everything that I did got cut out. So I don't love how I was portrayed, but it is what it is. Mm. Um, you know, so it did give me that recognition so that I can grow my nonprofit. And that's really what I'm most grateful for. So. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That, that's huge. And kudos to you for trying to put out the, you know, the conservation story in real time in the most brutal conditions. And we had um, we had a little bit of that issue with Wild Justice as well. The three seasons we did that show for Nat Geo is if we weren't kicking in doors on a high risk search warrant as game wardens for methamphetamine being traded for deer meat or parts or doing cartel marijuana raids. They didn't want to put it on TV. I mean, we did so many conservation stories of validating a first buck, helping somebody get out of a hot area, like on an ATV on a deer opener. And I think out of three seasons, we might've had four or five three-minute stories of hunters being portrayed in a positive light, conservation being a model that works to protect everything and keep things in balance. And I would push, 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 just like you're doing to try to get that message out. Cause I knew this was probably our biggest opportunity we're going to have as a department. Mm. And it just wasn't the sensational a story that got the ratings. And I, I get that. I get that's what drives these production companies. We're still very grateful for the show like Northwoods law with uh, Wayne and Glenn and, and all the guys in Maine, you know, in Texas with Lone Star state, mm-hmm. we can't get enough of those just for the, story of not just game wardens but conservation as a whole and um but it was it was really disheartening to see so little of that uh portrayed 
And once we had all the recruitment and retention, we had three more seasons offered because it was a number one hit. And our chief, Nancy Foley at the time, who's been a guest on our other podcast, Warden's Watch, we decided to say no. It wasn't worth it. We got everything we could out of it. We didn't need more sensational stories. We didn't need everybody killing animals looking like they were, you know, just ugly, evil felons, that there was a good side to it. So anyway, I completely admire what you tried to do and that you can still use that, you know, with the attention and use those powers for good, so to speak, moving forward. Yeah, thanks. And I think that that's the only way that you can look at it. I mean, I could walk away from it and and just really put alone behind me, but um, I still tell all the stories because it was an amazing experience. Mm. The real, you know, everyday story of it was um and i'm always free to tell that story um but it also grabs the attention of of the young viewers of that show i was surprised at how many children watch alone so i did a lot of speaking at trapping seminars i was out at the national trapping association's um convention in um where was i it was all over the place this summer talking about alone it was um iowa and there were so many children there. They put me in the kids cave so that I could, you know, teach the kids <laughs> about trapping and, and interact awesome. with them. I always, they awesome. the kids stuff, but anyways, I also got to tell my story and there were so many kids there that wanted my autograph because they watched the show because the fantasy of it, hmm. it's really amazing to have a television show that these little kids can watch and imagine what it would be like to be out there because yeah. They want to be out there. You know, they want that opportunity. So that kind of ignites something and piques their interest a little bit. So I really do love that, um, that all of the, you know, little people that watch this show always come to see me and want to hear my story. And it's a great opportunity. So as much as I maybe don't like how everybody, you know, perceived me from the show, um, I mean, they could have they could have taken any turn they wanted. They could have made me look like a horrible person if they wanted. They didn't do that. So <laughs> I do yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Still win. yeah. 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 It really is. Do the so, kids always want to hear when you were hunted by the grizzly? Is that like the story oh, yeah. you tell the little kids? Yeah. So actually more than um, the grizzly bear is the grizzly bear trap that I found. Cause Ooh. it's just so ironic that, um, I'm a trapper. They took me because I'm a trapper. And I found, I dug out of the ground um, an old new house number five, 1905 grizzly bear trap. A big awesome. Wow. Yeah. Did you get to so, keep it? Um, huh? I, uh, everybody, so, so not everybody, but some people will say, are you sure that wasn't planted? Well, I don't think that anybody else would have known what it was. Hmm. I, I knew because the, a little bit of the spring, just a tiny bit was um, above the ground, but I was back in, um, cutting spruce boughs for my shelter my fit of shelter never even made the show like i built this raised bed and like had everything organized <laughs> in my shelter. none of it made the show it looked they way like, too nice yeah it's crazy <laughs> like, why was your shelter so bad i'm like because you saw it at the beginning like it was you know yeah. at the end i had taken like carpets of moss and like carted them all back and chinked the entire thing with moss and then did um a shingle system on the outside i built a door from an old trapper's cabin that I found. Um, I took some old nails and pulled them out. And then I came back and out of some smaller lodge pole, I built a door. And so anyways, I was back in this tree because there was so much snow that when I would try to cut them, it would cover me. So I would get back in the tree and cut the limbs off up close to the tree. And then under this um, spruce tree, there was a big fallen old tree. Under that 
was the bear trap. So there's mm. just no way that this no. bear trap was planted. So I legitimately found this trap out there and it was a really, really cool trap. I mean, it was in great shape. It was just buried under that tree that must've fallen on it. So, um, yeah, I uh, found this bear trap. And then every the big question is, did you get to keep it? And mm. so everybody first came to my mind. the question than the, um, the actual, you know, grizzly bear story. Because they didn't show the whole grizzly bear story either. So people really don't know that unless I tell it. Mm. So the bear trap was cool. I didn't get to keep it. I did have to take it back and bury it. So. Oh, bummer. Is that considered an artifact? Quite the relic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were on... Um, what happened to uh, Finders first Keepers? Nations. Land. That was the eighties so too, wasn't it, Glenn? He just looks at me. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't get to keep my bear trap, but because I was on a bear, tra- an, old, an old grizzly bear trap line, I found the remnants of that trapper's cabin. I found the grizzly bear trap. <laughs> grizzly bears nonstop outside my shelter. When you're sitting under a tarp and they're breathing behind you, it's, it's super. Jeez. Well, yeah, because you're just trying to you're not sure what they're going to do you know it's mm-hmm. their choice what whatever happens from that point is not your choice so um and there's a moment on there that you see me get really upset and i'm not a big crier i don't like to cry um especially not on national television <laughs> but <laughs> you're so i had had the set like seven different grizzly bears and then i knew that they're just passing through or you know it's of course you get excited and each time it's a little less concerning you just wait it out and you keep you can keep a level head about it um but the last grizzly bear i couldn't figure out how to get him to go away and so that Mm. moment that you see me so upset on camera is because i had tried everything that situation went on for three hours so he was in my camp i was talking to the camera in the morning and i walk around my shelter to go in and get the rest of my stuff so that i can go for a hike and, you know, find food and hunt and whatever. And um, there was a grizzly bear standing on the other side of my shelter watching me. Mm. And so I, I yelled at the bear and scared him off. And so that audio was there, but they didn't use it because, you know, there was no, no video. So um, scared him off. He ran up in the woods and then I needed to try to figure out. So when you go into starvation, your brain atrophies, like you go into like a depressive state. It's very easy for you to get into that state and not be able to get out of it. That's one of the things about being alone out there. You start really thinking about things and, you know, demons Mm -hmm. maybe come back to haunt you and you really evaluate your whole life. Um, And that's part of it is because you're in starvation mode and and you're alone. Um, So everything is, you're very sensitive to everything. So the bear, um, I was pretty shaken up that he was just sitting there watching me and I didn't hear him. So I calmed myself down, collected myself. And I knew I needed to figure out where he came from. If he came from um, up on the mountain and not across the beach, then I knew he came because he smelled me. If they're coming across the beach, they're just crossing through is what I had seen. That was kind of their patterns. Mm -hmm. So um, I take the camera out to the beach after I think I stayed at my shelter for maybe 30 or 40 minutes, just trying to let him go away. And I said to the camera, I don't think I've seen the last of him. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, we got to figure out where he came from. Cause your camera is like that person that you talk to all the time. So I take my camera out and um, I'm like, there's no tracks on the beach. And I'm like talking to the camera. So the camera's facing the lake. I'm facing the woods. So I can watch and see where he's coming from. If he comes back out. Cause I scared him up on the mountain. Well, I didn't know that he had the whole time been circling me and was watching me. So um, I'm talking to the camera and 
when you watch it, now you'll look because some people miss it, but when they go back and watch it, they see him. So I'm talking to the camera and I'm like, his tracks, he did not come down the beach. He wasn't just passing through. He was coming for me. He didn't know what I was, but he smelled me. And it's late in the year and they're, they're hungry and they want to go hibernate. And as I'm telling the camera this, he's standing behind me. <laughs> he came oh. out behind me and he's just standing there. So when I went back after he was finally gone, I counted my um, last footsteps to his steps. We were 25 steps apart. Jeez. So he was just standing back there watching me and um, I turn around and I see him and then I yell and I grab my camera and I start backing up to the woods and I'm yelling at this bear and um, he starts to go, but then he changes his mind and he stands up in the air and he turns around and he starts to come back my way. So once I got in the woods, I, I don't know what my plan was. It was just to maybe get a tree to my back because um, there's really nowhere to go to get away from this bear. So mm. anyways, that just went on for a long time. And then um the bear um, kept circling me and then he went out into like, I called it my swamp. Um, and he, I would see him every once in a while out there. So it went on for a really long time. And then I got really upset and I pulled out. So if you've watched alone, um, there's, you know, there's a tap out button. You can mm-hmm. at any point in time tap out, but you can't take it back. Once you hit that button, if you change your mind between the time that you hit the button and they get there, they're still taking you out. Right. And you have to really think about hitting that button. So while this bear, I, I can see him every once in a while. And I'm thinking, I don't know what to do because I had an air horn. And I blew that at him and I had um, a bear banger and I shot that off. And this bear didn't care anymore. They get desensitized to it. He was on to that. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, knew that it didn't hurt him when it happened. It startled him, but it didn't hurt him. Um, and so I think he just was not sure what to do because I did make a lot of noise. <laughs> so he's trying to decide and I don't know what to do anymore. And so I started crying. I take out my button and I'm like, you know what? I do have children and this is a television show. So at, at some point I have to yeah. pick me over this show saying, you know, and so um, I, but I thought about it and I thought, you know, by the time they get here, it's going to be Over. minimum of like an hour, hour and a half, maybe two hours before they could get to me. It depends on the water because we had really high waves and that bear will have made his decision by then. So it's a, so mm-hmm. many things going through your head. Like it's not my choice whether I live or die right now because that bear is going to make that decision. There's nothing I can do. So you're, you're thinking about how you're going to fight that grizzly bear if you have to. Um, and I know it's ridiculous. One of my customers says that's ridiculous. You're not going to fight a grizzly bear. And I said, yes, I am. I may not win, but yes, I am. I mean, you're not going to lay down and, you know, so the reality of, of that situation was very, very real and very dangerous. So, um, that's what's, I'm sorry. I forgot to shut my store phone off. (laughs) Um, so that's, what's kind of neat about the show is that, um, you know, that you're really in those situations there's nobody there to help you you can't and when you realize you can't pick up a phone and call for help you can't yell for help here you can yell for help and probably someone's going to come um or you have a phone and you're standing there in that situation and there's nothing you can do so once i realized that you know wow. the bear will have made his decision at that point um i just was like just you have to calm down and you have to think about this situation and then um, I decided to stay and, um, that I, I stayed and he went away. He just kind of wandered off. And that was the grizzly bear story. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Uh, pretty intense. Fortunately, he wandered yeah. off. Did you ever see that bear again? Or did you ever recognize him specifically coming back? Cause he seemed like he was the boldest you encountered, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously. 
but yep, none of them ever were anything more than just wondering what I was or just passing through or yeah yeah so um I actually was only there I can't remember if that was like it was the early 30s I can't remember what day exactly that was you do lose track out there it's a little mm. tough to keep track of you know your days even though you're marking them on a thing but um it was only maybe a week later that I got medically extracted so um I didn't see him again it doesn't mean he wasn't there. I did take video of his, of bear tracks again, following my trap line when mm. I went up in the woods, but nothing came down to my shelter again. Gotcha. But yeah, it was, he definitely put, put me back into my space. Like mm -hmm. as comfortable as I was wandering all over that mountain, he pushed me back into that space of not being so sure that I wanted to venture out too far. Mm. Right. You know, it, it, it really grounds you for a couple of days and then I would, you know, venture back out. But, um, at that point, my body was in starvation and my, my body stopped circulating blood to my, my feet. So I ended up with some deep tissue frostbite and mm. they, uh, I didn't want to go. So, and I'm pretty stubborn sometimes put myself in dangerous situations <laughs> just to finish what it is that I'm doing. And so they said, um, they weren't going to give me that choice. So they actually picked me up and carried me out of there, which I think was a little more dramatic than it needed to be. I think I probably could have, you know, <laughs> walked out, but, <laughs> but it made for good television. <laughs> mm -hmm. mm. So, yeah. And that's, that's a pretty tough one to deal with too, because as being, being as stubborn as I am, um, to be medically extracted when you don't want to go. Right. Um, that's a hard pill to swallow. I got back to recovery and I was there for like 11 days, but um, it was every day. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And I was so disappointed in myself and who I am and what my capabilities were. And I still struggle with it. Um, I just always say that 37 days is nothing. And I, I wish I could have gone so much longer, but I didn't have that choice. And so I didn't get to finish what it was that I was out there for. Right. So, that was mentally pretty difficult to deal with. Hmm. But you pushed through right up to the frostbite when it wasn't your choice. Uh, you know, yeah. you did, you weren't going to quit. That's uh that's incredible. If, um, if they did like one of these reunion shows, like they seem to do on some of the other survival shows, would you go back and do it? Yeah, it definitely, it definitely would. It's, um, yeah. I, I think that I want to say no, because it, there's so many things that I didn't love about it not being my real story, but I right. can't say no to a challenge. It's just, I don't know. It's just who I am. If, if I had the opportunity to prove to myself that I could finish it, I would take it. Yeah. It's yeah. cool. Yeah. And what would you do different? Would you bring something, like you said, you bring your knife instead of the ax. Um, is there any other ideas that you've had of, of going back? And I am super stubborn and, I always <laughs> look back at a situation and think, what were you thinking? Being so stubborn all the time. So you can, as some of your 10 items, you can take rations so you can take food. Mm. But I was like, no, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I can do this without food. So I was only one of just a few people that a couple of people that did it. I think there may have been three or four of us that didn't take rations. So any little bit of extra, you know, food mm -hmm. is um, going to help Huge. prolong your stay and your health. And so I should have probably given up something else and taken food. In mm. the pecking order, since I haven't seen the show, were you in the middle of the, the group? Um, for you, my time there? Yeah, your time there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was, I think, uh, I was in the top five. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. 
Yeah, I would say very well done. Yeah, considering uh, all those aspects, uh, the, the the grizzly, uh, you got me intense there too. Just I think each and every one of us, and probably the listeners as well, put yourself in that situation. And as I was listening to you describe this, I'm I'm, I'm putting myself and how I would react. And yeah, very unsettling. Uh, no matter no matter what, when you become uh, the prey, when you're used to being the predator, is just especially you. Uh, <laughs> having yeah. the the North American uh, big slam and everything, being a successful archer, uh, all those things, it's just yeah. And you being stubborn too. <laughs> I can be stubborn about some things, but most things I try to uh, I try to ebb and flow. <laughs> the grizzly bear thing is really um, interesting now because I get to hear everybody's opinions on and the misconceptions mm. about grizzly bears. They're mm-hmm. very, very dangerous. And I see these videos online now. People like walking up trying to uh, video one that they see in the wild and yeah, how many attacks there were this year. And, natural selection. Um, people really do believe that they're not dangerous. And I got comments all the time, like, the, the bear wasn't going to hurt you. Oh, yeah. yeah. I no. disagree with you. Well, you got three yeah, game wardens again. here, and we'll tell you. Yeah, and again, to, uh, to, to pony up on what Glenn said earlier, those are the same people that haven't been in the woods and really interacted in real mm. woods off a paved trail around grizzly bears. <laughs> We've had so many encounters up here in northwest Montana, Rose, Glacier Park, fatalities. We've had problem bears dumped in our yak wilderness in my backyard, treeing hunters during archery season. I mean, there is a legitimate danger out there. And the last thing we want to do is have to take one for defense, but that's had to happen up here. And they've been investigated and they've been investigated appropriately. But you're dealing with a very strong, you know, apex predator in their realm outside of us with tools. And uh, they need to be respected for that. Mm. And they need to be understood, right? Yeah, that's understanding them. Um, and I think that people, because for the most part, I mean, they're not seeking you out. They're not a polar bear. They're not seeking you out. They're right, not coming right, right. to try to find you. In this situation, these bears were hungry. We were put in a situation where that food source is restricted from them. Sure. And um, we were. it was getting later in the season. There was snow and they want to hibernate. And so he was, I don't think he was really very old. Um, I, I, I would imagine just by gauging, you know, the size of our black bear here in Pennsylvania, I would guess he was probably 600 pounds, maybe a little bit bigger. Um, so he wasn't a full grown grizzly bear. So, you know, a younger bear, just kind of wondering what I was, but he, he came in to see what I was. I piqued his interest. It doesn't mean that he wouldn't have made a decision based on that though. They're not, um, they're not compassionate, you know, they're like, Oh, that's a person. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, um, I don't think that they, well, he's know. thinking, can I eat that? <laughs> you yeah, know, I mean, and risk versus reward, you know, uh, all that, like you said, all that food was gone and he was in his mm. own episode of alone and he yeah. was getting hungry. So survival for them. Right. Yeah. And they are an apex predator. They mm-hmm. are going to um, win that, you know, <laughs> that fight. They're going to win. Nothing so, evil, um, just survival. Yeah. Yeah. So um, people, and the way that they understand grizzly bears, it's crazy to me the thoughts that people have and how they, they think they understand them because mm. we seem to have lost because people see these videos on social media, mm. like going up to bears. And I think there was just one of like some lady knocked a bear off a ledge because it was going to get her dog. dog I saw that. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so people yeah. get. I think desensitized to the real danger that's there and that, and that respect that you need to have for them. So the comments that I get about how that grizzly bear was not going to hurt me, mm. <laughs> it's just crazy. 
crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. That's, I mean, that's animals are all about food and all about breeding. They, that's that's mm-hmm. just, uh, that's their DNA is survival. Yeah. And yeah, he was just figuring out, can I eat her? Get, you yeah. know, I'm like, risk is a reward. Off. Am I going <laughs> to, if I bite her, is she going to bite back? Or how hard <laughs> yeah. is that? And how hungry am I? Yeah. Uh, that's mm-hmm. that's what I've learned in my, my tenure. I'm sure you guys are very similar. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, yeah, I it, think... was a, it was a pretty cool experience, though. Um, and then the people that are close to me hear my friends when they watch it, you know, and I'm pretty distraught on there. They get pretty upset about mm. it um, and how scary it was. Yeah, you were going to say something like that? Um, I think they're more scared for me than, than I, you know, I just don't <laughs> remember it. I remember the situation, of course, and I remember having to collect myself and, and work through that process. Um, but it's it's pretty crazy. It was pretty emotional. It, it's funny yeah. how um how it hit home with so many people like of my friends you know just how dangerous that situation was because it is a very real situation mm. yeah i think your mindset is is commendable i mean i'm not gonna tell you anything you don't know but for some people listening maybe when that guy come up and said you were gonna fight that he wasn't telling you what you were gonna he was sharing what he was gonna do he mm, he is. would not have fought that bear yeah so i just think it's funny to you know, get into people's mind. He's not, that's not what you were going to do. He was, he just flat out would have lied there. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just kind of funny because you don't have to tell him, you, you know, yeah, of course you were going to fight that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just kind of. Yeah. yeah, that's your plan every second that you're out there. That was my plan anyways. I mean, I had had so many grizzly bears. I had to plan for that. And um, when you say mindset, that was something that I talked about um, when I yeah. got back from the show. Mindset training, I think is a very important part of anything that you do. Um, if you plan for it, you can deal with with it so much better because people say that all the time it's crazy to watch you so upset and then to just collect yourself and get through that situation i think that i've had to do that coming from such a rough childhood that was a that was a quality i had to develop to get through those things i was gonna say you didn't um, learn it you lived it that's why you are the way you are i'm not a psychologist but you 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 got that training long ago that's why you you are the apex (laughs) Yeah. yeah Yeah, I did have to learn that as a as a child. And I think that um, switching back over to the nonprofit in my nonprofit, um, a majority of what I do is I help. um, I say traditionally underrepresented. And by that, I mean, I work closely with the foster care program because I was a foster child when I was growing up. Eventually, once I was taken from that situation. And so those children that have been in situations similar to mine, or maybe not have been in a dangerous situation, but are now in, you know, another home, they Mm -hmm. maybe don't get that opportunity to get Mm -hmm. out there and um, experience some of the things that other kids get to do. And so I work very closely with, with those children that had lives similar to mine when I was growing up. And so that's a, a very big part of my nonprofit. Because I think had somebody been there when I was a kid to just be kind to me and offer me, you know, um, an avenue for, you know, getting out there and doing what um, I, I had fallen in love with doing as a, even more so as an adult, I think it would have been easier for me as a child. So um, I try to play a bigger role in their lives now, but I work with um, grandparents raising their grandchildren because there's such a large number in Pennsylvania of grandparents that can't get their their grandchildren out there so the groups that I work with are very close to my heart because Mm. of of my childhood so I'm very lucky that I'm where I am and that I'm in a position that I'm in to be able to do that for those children now so so hopefully it won't be so hard for them yeah 
I, oh. I hate to interrupt. I have to go get a uh, long tail weasel out of an elderly woman's cupboard. <laughs> so <laughs> duty calls. I don't mean to interrupt, Rose. And uh, uh, nice to meet you. Game That's yeah. right. right there, Absolutely. Man. We get it, man. It's an elderly lady. Otherwise, I'd say figure it out. Yeah. Uh, no, I, get I don't. It. Well, thanks I don't mean for joining us for the interim, Glenn. Thanks for having me. So. Pleasure to meet you both virtually. I can't say that I'm going to go watch alone, but I do want to look at a map. I'm that visual. Like I'm like, where was she? I want to. Yeah. Uh, I want to exactly. see was that. She, she yeah, what are you trap? Yeah, so <laughs> super cool. Pleasure to meet you. I'll be safe. Thank you, Wayne. Uh, take care, Glenn. Thanks. Just yeah, and Rose, up. to your point, I mean, you're such an such a godsend for these kids because yeah. you lived it with the struggles growing up, and then at the same time, um, we Wayne and I have done this our whole careers, and I'm doing it with teenagers and pre-teenagers I'm meeting back in California when I'm doing business in my home state that I have no relation to, but I'm just impressed by. And they are such good kids that just are, what's it like to go hunt a hog? What's it like to go shoot for the first time? Can I go? Can I see it? And, you know, they don't have a lot of means or they're coming from a struggling family, but their hearts are in the right place. They're motivated working with one kid in particular now. And it is is the best thing we can do with with anything we do in life as conservationists is pay it forward that way. And the rewards, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here with all three of us, the rewards are just amazing. And it feels so good to see that light in their eyes when they are out at first light, chilly in that witching hour right after sunrise, and then sunset and see animals come out and work optics and track. And uh, it's just, just a magical thing. And we're losing so much of that in the country right now with where we're going with for multiple reasons. So uh, it, it's super cool that you can pay that forward and bring it back. And, and alone is such a quote unquote, sexy draw, scary type show for kids that haven't had outdoor experience coming from urban areas. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, it's a perfect storm to get our message out and build some character and build some self-confidence and reliance with struggling backgrounds. Um, like, like some of us have shared. So I think it's awesome that you're doing it. And certainly we're going to do everything we can to promote you and your message and mm. just super awesome to have you on our show. Yeah. And what a story. Thank and you and I sharing. love the name of your nonprofit. I've always said this on this podcast, names have power and yeah. this is my quest. Uh, <laughs> It, it, you know what? It brings me back again to the 80s. Glenn will bust my chops, but that Vision Quest movie, The Wrestler. <laughs> Vision and Quest has said it all. It, it's just an iconic uh, show. And yeah, so this is my quest. And it's just going to achieve that, Rose, Anna. You're definitely going to achieve that. Um, Thank you. And remember, a quest usually never ends. And when it does, uh, you know, but you, you've, you've got it going on. And we appreciate yeah. you sharing your time on alone with us. <laughs> And uh, and your nonprofit. This is my quest. So, and people can find you online. Uh, do you want to do a little spiel where we can find this is my quest? Yeah, yeah. So um, we have a website um, www.thisismyquest.org. So that tells a little bit more. Um, and there's some videos on there that will link off to YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. My YouTube channel is still under Rosanna Moore. So that okay. kind of has the videos from alone and some of the projects that we work on. Um, I not only work with youth, but I also work with um, a lot of women who would like the opportunity to get into the outdoors. And nice. so um, one uh, young lady in particular, she's a quadriplegic. And so that ease of access is not there for her. Hmm. Um, so her story is kind of on there and how we are getting her into the outdoors and getting her hunting. So um, you can go to the website and uh, we have a Facebook page. This is my quest. And I think um, everything else is really under Rosanna Moore. So Excellent. you'll 
you'll be flooded with children's activities though. I have 50 children in my, um, in my archery club that just started in December and I'm in a very small town. (laughs) So, um, I I've attracted quite a bit of, uh, archery attention. So that's primarily what you see now, we're gearing up for a pheasant project where the kids will incubate pheasant eggs. Um, we're working with the Pennsylvania game commission to visit the pheasant farm and, um, they'll get to learn all about pheasant habitats and they'll raise them. And then four hunters will be chosen to um, harvest those in the fall. So we, we go through the whole, when we'd go on a whitetail hunt, it's not just a whitetail hunt. You have to learn all about whitetail before Mm. you can go on a whitetail hunt. And then we, you know, you have to go through our, our training to be able to shoot. And um, it's a whole, it's a whole process. So it's not just um, about exposure, but it's a lot about education. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us on the Thin Green Line, Rosanna. Thank you so much for having me.